My name is Jill Phillips and I'm the creator of Who's Shoes, a popular approach to co-production. I was named as an HSJ100 wildcard and want to help give a voice to others talking about their ideas and experiences. I'll be chatting with people from all sorts of different perspectives, walking in their shoes. If you are interested in the future of healthcare and like to hear what other people think, or perhaps even contribute at some point, Whose Shoes Wildcard is for you. There's a bit of a theme going on with the podcast at the moment, and that is around children and families. I have recently spoken to Bob Kleber, a very kind paediatrician, and to Aisha Farouk, a wonderful young ambassador for listening to children and young people. Today's guest is Rachel Crook. I've been very keen to chat to Rachel on the podcast since meeting her at a recent Who's Shoes event that we ran in the Midlands, focusing on early years care. We were looking for someone with a powerful lived experience story to help set the scene at the beginning of the workshop. I was told that Rachel had some insightful experiences caring for her own children, but that she was also a nurse at the hospital. Would this be appropriate? I found this question fascinating. Whose Shoes is all about breaking down barriers and removing labels. You do not have to choose whether you are either a parent or a nurse. You are a human being and can speak as both. And indeed, the combination of having both lived and learnt experience can sometimes be the most powerful of all. Rachel's talk was powerful and insightful, spontaneous, from the heart, honest and just totally what we needed to hear. So as I say, I'm delighted to have persuaded Rachel to join me on the podcast today. So welcome to Wildcard Who Shoes, Rachel. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what's important to you? Thank you, Jill. Yeah, the word persuasions made me giggle a little bit there because... Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> I have said a few times when we first spoke about it and again today that I'm not sure that I've got what it takes, really. I'm not sure that other people are going to be interested in hearing my story, but we're here and we'll see where we go from here. So, And I have told you that imposter syndrome is de rigueur for this podcast series. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're in the right okay, place. Definitely some of that, certainly today. So yeah, so I'm I'm Rachel. I think first and foremost, I'm a I'm a mum. I'm a mummy to uh, to two little girls who are three and five and keep me very busy. And also, I'm a I'm a nurse. I'm a paediatric nurse by background, and my job title now is professional lead, which doesn't give everybody an awful lot about, about what I actually do. But I support lots of community services, looking after children and families in our area. So, so the two things do come together and actually both my children have been under at least one and now a second of our own services so in terms of services that I directly support and my, my girls supported by those services as well which obviously then makes that that relationship kind of have two hats for those relationships and when I call to speak to to the teams I will say you know it's Rachel I'm ringing as mum or it's Rachel I'm ringing, you know, as, as professional today, just so that they know really. And I have discussed the complexities of that. So yeah, a little bit, I guess, about the girls, because that's what's, that's what's led us here. Both of them have got some ongoing health needs, mainly gastro involvement, tummy, tummy issues, I mean, is how I say it to, to most people. And they have some problems with their joints. They have something called hypermobility. So what would have been previously called double jointed sort of syndrome and so their joints bend the wrong way so it just gives them a little bit too much flexibility can cause a little bit of pain can cause them to be quite tired because they have to work hard to keep those joints in in line and it's caused lots of different problems over the years so my eldest is five and a half just finishing reception actually so there's been some question mark over a syndrome called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome for her and then subsequently for her sister and that syndrome is a connective tissue disorder, which can affect all different systems of the body. So, like I say, it's a big question mark. It was diagnosed last June and then, <laughs> if you will, undiagnosed this year. <laughs> so um, one consultant says, yes, it's Ella Danlos. One consultant says, no, it's no, they don't think it is. So it's one of those very difficult chronic conditions that can take years and years to be diagnosed. Looking at her symptoms, looking at the whole of her 
and reading up on Ella Danlos. She certainly does fit some of the the criteria in the boxes, but not quite all of them. But like I say to lots of people, it sort of doesn't matter. She doesn't need to be put in a box. She doesn't need a label. It's about managing her her symptoms. It's about managing how it affects her day to day. And my biggest stumbling block, I guess, I've come across as a parent particularly, is somebody looking at my child holistically, you know, looking at the whole of her. As a nurse, that's what I was trained to do. That's That was, you know, our bread and butter, part and parcel of the whole thing. Don't ever look at one part in isolation, look at the whole child. But unfortunately, my experience of services hasn't been that. My experience of services has been quite specific to that individual need. They haven't considered anything else. Nobody's connecting all the dots. So then you end up under lots of different professionals. At one point between the two of them, we had six or seven different professionals involved with the girls. So a couple of different consultants, dietitians, podiatry, physio, community paediatrics. We've got lots of different people involved that all seem to be doing different things, not quite tying it all together. You know, there's a little bit of involvement of teeth with with Sophia potentially you know we're not certain but there is a normal element with Ella Danlos and it appears that could be having some impact um, but we're not certain a lot of these things we have to see how she grows a little bit of involvement with hearing we're not certain she's hearing as well as she could you know audiology weight is quite significant so that's another another service that we're not quite there yet but we're you know we're, we're in the in the waiting for that so there's all these different people but nobody seems to bring it all together. I've spoken to the GP a couple of times. And in fact, we saw them yesterday just to say, you know, these things are ongoing. She tells me multiple times a day that she has a sore tummy. You know, she's five and a half. It's it's difficult to hear that so often. And I did say, I was honest with the GP. I'm running out of things to tell her, running out of things to do. The cowpole doesn't help. You know, we've we go for a hot water bottle sometimes, she has a rest. It does stop her playing, it does stop her doing things, it's it stops her in her tracks and stops her activities. School have rung a couple of times to say she's been upset today, or I pick her up from the gate and they say she's told us a few times to say she's got a sore tummy, you know, but we're not getting anywhere. She's been under gastro since she was just over one. So that's nearly four and a half years of gastro involvement and you know, we haven't really got anywhere. So, you know, it becomes really quite challenging for me. And I feel as though it doesn't, it's not directly the same as Rachel. I think it's Rachel rocking two stomas. You've had a few Rachels, haven't you? <laughs> a lot of Rachels. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was Rachel rocking two stomas that talks about not being believed. And it's very different to her, really, because obviously, you know, she's actually got the stoma and can show people it is there, <laughs> you know, and she's still, you know, people are choosing to, to, to potentially not believe her, which is just crazy but I think because the girls present happy smiling playing they go to school they go to nursery you know that 30 minute snapshot of a consultation or possibly a little bit longer if you know if if it's a first appointment maybe they don't see the night times when they're distressed and the numbers of times we're up every single night you know they don't see the times when she wants to play and then curls back up on the sofa because actually her tummy's hurting too much. You know, they they don't see that. They see a happy, smiley girl. She lets them prod her tummy. She's, you know, she's quite amenable. They they don't see it. And it makes me then become quite paranoid, if that's the right word, about people think I'm making this up. And I think that's where perhaps my background isn't helpful, you know, in terms of knowing of things like, you know, fabricated illness. And that's always kind of sat in the back of my mind since having Sophia, and this might link with some of your maternity work. So since having Sophia, who's my eldest, and like I say, she's she's five and a half, she'll be six in October, I have been diagnosed with um, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is not what I would have thought it was. <laughs> you know, I think I perhaps, you know, just had that generic kind of people that like everywhere tidy, you know, and the cushions in the right direction and the carpet nice and you know and believe me that's not what my house is like with uh with our with our two um <laughs> and it's not that at all um and a lot of the obsessive thoughts in my head and my concerns they lead me down down some quite dark avenues and actually 
given that I've had professionals not really wanting to act. I've had people I've sent videos of them crying at night too that have said, oh, you know, it's not that significant, have made me feel like this is me. This is me. We're not getting anywhere. Nobody's diagnosing anything. Nobody seems to be interested. They're going to think it's it's all me. And that's quite a lonely place to be, you know. And this is me being obviously completely honest about sort of our experiences. It is, and yeah, really appreciate that. It's a very powerful, you know, that that's a family, mm. isn't it, together as real people, mm. not divided into this specialist or that problem or exactly that individual it. within the family. It's exactly it, that dividing of of the child and then now we have the dividing of the family because only one of us can go to appointments so only one parent can attend appointments thanks to covid you know and that's obviously started at the beginning of covid and and lots of hospitals are still ongoing with that it does it does vary some are now allowing a second but for a long time it was only me or it was over the phone and it was only me you know and I'll come back and I'll say things to to my partner and he'll be like I can't believe they said that or you know I'm I'm not happy with this I'm not happy with that but he's not able to be there and and have that conversation as well and one of the things that I picked up on in um, Bob Kleber's episode with yourself he talked about how the time with professionals is actually quite minimal within a patient's life tiny really yeah yeah and it's tiny and it was really interesting I was running actually when, it, when I was listening to that one and I actually stopped and got my phone out and thought no I need to make a little little note to myself about that so that I don't forget because sometimes there's so much powerful inspirational stuff comes out in a podcast that you know if I don't write it down my brain's like what was it that I wanted to kind of think more about and I think from a parent perspective I could almost flip that entirely on its head so he's right it's a small portion of that child which is kind of linking to what I've just said about seeing a happy healthy girl in those 20 minutes but actually you might wait weeks months almost a year you know for for that appointment so actually it's massively significant sometimes mm. and you feel like you've built yourself up and built yourself up and built yourself up and then you come out of the appointment and think oh, I didn't say this I didn't say that should I have challenged further should I have pointed this out should I have said this and then you feel like you've almost wasted it like you've waited all of that time for it and you know certainly like in in COVID I look back now through some of the letters and there was such a long time when we weren't seen you know and I look particularly at so my youngest was quite we had quite a difficult time through COVID and for a whole year she wasn't seen they were all phone appointments she was dropping weight because it was her red book I was looking at with her weights in before she had to she had preschool boosters yesterday so I'm uh, propping my eyes open with matchsticks today because uh, they <laughs> they haven't gone down too well we've had a bit of an unsettled girl overnight um but yeah I was looking at that and, and I saw the two weights over a year apart where the second one was less than the first and I thought that was what I was banging on about to anybody that would listen for a whole year you know and we didn't get anywhere took a really long time we ended up removing lots of food from her diet under dietitian advice and she is now put you know she's now got the weight back on she's right at the bottom of the chart but that's fine she's following a line but it took a lot of fighting and and that also kind of links with I think that might have been the Rachel from the school. Yeah, the head teacher. Yes, Rachel Tomlinson. Yeah, fantastic. Yes, and that was, I absolutely loved that. And she talked about batting for the child and that just made me think, well, yeah, why is anybody batting at all? Yeah. Why is it Why is it sides? And I, I talked, I think, at the Who's Shoes event about experiencing the other side of the fence, you know, and yeah. that was kind of a flippant, just off the cuff comment. But actually, it does feel like two very different sides. And I've heard that over and over in different settings. You know, the social worker who's suddenly looking after her own mother or this expression, sadly, around, I suppose, the words around fights mm. or around being on the other side of the fence and that they do go right the way through whose shoes yeah. work and why does it need to be like that feeling like a battleground you know that that sort of thing and that's what I've heard you know I've worked in the community with children and adults as, as well because our, our service does cover adults with children and adults with complex needs for 15 years now and that is the same now as it was then 
when I first started that families see it as a battleground and part of me thinks what is it that we do that makes it a battleground how can we come through that you know is there a way of changing that so that it isn't seen as a battleground so you don't feel like you've got to go over fight you know I've gone to appointments we've printed out nice guidelines and all my notes and all sorts of things because I felt like I need to go and prove myself at this appointment but equally that professional is in that profession because they care because they want to make a difference because they want to do the best for the child so I'm not dissing any of the professionals that we have been under because on a day-to-day basis they are doing their their best that they can do but and I'm not trying to say their best isn't good enough I guess I don't really know what I'm trying to say but I think ultimately there is a better way as a collective to look after our children and and our families that need that support I do think that there's there's a better way because I did say at the when I spoke at the Who's Shoes event that each individual person has been lovely has listened but you know have they really heard I don't know one thing that I have found a few times is I feel like they come with a preconceived idea of what's going to come out of the appointment and I think you know they might have read other letters which is good good preparation but then I've felt like then they haven't really listened to me and my reason why I'm not sure that those letters really are giving us our answer you know and why I think the conversation needs to go further because there's so much talk about integrated care isn't there integrated care boards now Jill as of the 1st of July yeah I'm trying to work out what ICBs and ICCs and then you get into the Mm. international cricket (laughs) board (laughs) I get confused you know with acronyms they see some similarities I don't know (laughs) well certainly the batting well Oh dear. So I think what you're saying, and I'm picking up really on so many kind of different aspects, and I'm just thinking of that, okay, you know, make it simple, that one consultation and you go in and it's so important and you've waited so long. And I mean, a year, a year for anybody is in an eternity, but for a child, what proportion of their life, their very short young lives is that? So you go in, but you're not allowed to go with your partner because of COVID. So the responsibility of saying the right things and then reporting back home fairly, you know, what was said and then him questioning you to find out a bit more. And so one thing, and I mean, this is something that's come up in other areas of my work. Is it possible or would it be right to have the opportunity if you wanted to, to have a recording of that consultation? And then it wouldn't be your secondhand it wouldn't be you having to have that responsibility. And sometimes, you know, and especially I think any of us, if you hear bad news, you need that second person perhaps to, well, what did you hear there? Yeah. You know, we've had some scenarios around someone's given difficult news, bad news. They perhaps don't hear anything after that point. Absolutely. Yeah. But to be offered perhaps a recording so mm-hmm. that you could go home and play it with your partner mm-hmm. or with your daughter or whoever it might be you haven't got that sort of pressure really to hang on to every detail or lose it absolutely right that half hour is critical isn't it Mm -hmm. that that half hour Mm -hmm. that bob said was only a tiny part yeah and it is only a tiny part he's absolutely right i'm not trying to say that that he isn't it's just interesting that you can look at that from a completely different perspective you know yeah and James often says that's uh, that's my partner that's the you know daddy in this <laughs> daddy, so uh, yeah. James James often says for that individual on that day for that consultant or whoever it may be whatever professional it is that's one conversation that they're having that day with many 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 people for that individual it could be the most significant conversation they have in a long time you know and it's whether that yeah. is considered or not I don't know James talks about that within his own work he gives each person that he speaks to the time and respect and and thought that that they require the same for each person you know and we have had I have had examples where we've been last person of the day they're already running really 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 late you know that really they're not with you anymore you know I have had that mention of 
oh, I'm on leave next week. I've already kind of checked out, you know. And that's been said in a, in a you know, professional to professional, having a bit of a joke kind of a way. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But as a parent, you might then think, oh, okay, well, actually, we've waited a long time for this appointment. It really matters. It does really matter to me. But yeah, your idea of recording, I think, is quite interesting because I don't mind saying like I've been open about the OCD diagnosis, which, you know, took me a bit by surprise. I have got upset in appointments many times because I've I've arrived at that point absolutely exhausted often. You know, we've had such significant sleep issues due to reflux and pain and, you know, some of it now being learnt behaviour, I have no doubt. You know, some of it now will be a behaviour thing, but other times it's a very definite issue of discomfort. So I can arrive at this appointment absolutely exhausted, absolutely desperate for somebody to give me some sort of answer that's going to make a difference. And then they might say something that either I disagree with or that I find quite dismissive or, you know, they say, well, actually, we've discovered this. So we'll deal with this first and then we'll come back to that. And I've cried. I've I've got really quite upset. You know, sometimes my upset has come out of a place of being cross and it's channeled itself in that way and then you know I'm frustrated with myself for crying because I feel like I've lost my point but that's the reality and those times I have been on my own so it's just been me and one of the girls whichever one it may be and then whatever that professional said after that point whether I've heard it I don't know whether I've misinterpreted it again I don't know I can say things to James for example like we talk about you know the girls obviously quite a lot I will say some things to him and he'll totally misunderstand or misinterpret what I'm saying now that could be me and the doctor if we were both there me and James that's two of us to interpret what they're saying so maybe a recording would help with with those kind of things you know and I I think increasing communication in whatever way you can of that two-way street because you know and again I feel like I'm picking out all your past guests but I have listened to all the podcasts and which is amazing. Thank you. I have really enjoyed them all and they all kind of have inspired me in a different way and interested me in a different way. But one person that I've linked with as well via Twitter is Miles Sibley from the Patient Experience Library. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously during the episode with him, you talk about like the language we use, you know, it's a pal's complaint or it's a concern or, you know, whatever. Whereas, if it's the professional making the point, then it's a report or, you know, it's an incident, that sort of thing. And and that really has made me think, and I'm trying to bring a lot of this into, into my own work with the services that I support in terms of how can we hear this patient's voice. Recently, we had a, a letter that came after an appointment and it had a fair few inaccuracies in it. And I have to say, I was quite disappointed. It made me quite frustrated. So... I rang to try and, you know, have a conversation about it just to have the the letter corrected. I mean, at the very basic, it was being sent to the wrong hospital. So it was being sent back to the referring doctor, but this wasn't actually at the right hospital. So, you know, I needed to make sure it went back to the correct doctor. So I rang, but I couldn't, I couldn't be given an email address to communicate with the individual or a phone number to speak to the individual, which I do understand to a point. So they had to book me in a clinic appointment. So I had to then be booked a clinic appointment, which was not that far in advance, two or three weeks. And then it was a telephone clinic appointment. They were very apologetic. They've changed the letter. We've subsequently had a a new one. But to me, it just feels like there could be a better way. But I do also understand you open up those channels. You know, so if I look at it from a professional perspective, you open up those communication channels, those professionals get bombarded, you know, and, and how do we manage that for them when they've got such a busy and active caseload I don't know what's right but it just feels like we're not quite there in some ways and I guess that's exactly the sort of thing that we try and explore through whose Mm. shoes that to find something that is realistic and actually works for both sides and to have someone like you Rachel talking on the podcast that's why I was so keen You've got not just theoretically, you know, I wonder what it's like to be on the other side of the fence, but you're realistically aware and involved in both worlds. Mm. And you know, it's an incredibly rich perspective. And I hope that your voice goes a long way in terms of helping resolve some of these things and improve them. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, I mean, when you were talking earlier, and I just got such a kind of rich picture of 
you at that one half hour appointment. But when you said, I think you mentioned like, you know, obviously if it's an appointment about your little girl, obviously she's there. And I'm thinking you've also got the question about what you can say with a child that's, you know, getting older and getting mm. more aware without worrying them. But you you want to take that opportunity to talk to the healthcare professional about what you're really concerned about, but without worrying your little girl. Is that an issue? Uh, yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. And And this is where I think there is value in the telephone appointments as well. Right. Because actually you take them along to these appointments and they weigh and, and height them and, and do those things, occasionally do observations before the appointment, which is needed. Then they sit eating snacks, colouring in, doing whatever <laughs> while we chat for however long. And then they might feel their tummy, watch them walk. This is dependent on the appointment. Obviously, if it's something like physio, yeah, then sure. it's hands on right from the beginning. But I mean, like, so the dietitian appointments are mostly talking. So we may just do a lot of talking. And as much as they try and include the children in that conversation, then that does become quite tricky, you know. And, and certainly with the girls having lots taken out of their diet, when we're talking about reintroducing things into diet. So the elder Sophia, she's very wise. She's very aware. And she's she's all hearing when she wants to be, as in, you know, if she's, <laughs> if she's there and, and listening. Like I so said, we do potentially have some some issue of hearing but you know in terms of if she sat right with us and we're talking you know if it becomes something interesting absolutely as children do yeah you know um then she then she tunes in but she is absolutely desperate to be able to eat eggs again absolutely desperate she used to love having dippy eggs now the eggs were removed out of her diet because we weren't certain that they were agreeing with her it was felt to be one of the things that was causing her the discomfort causing the, the constipation and all the other problems that she was having but we're going through the process of trying to reintroduce that's a very slow progress like you, you have a little bit of something that's got a little bit of egg baked into it so it's a very right. long time before you get to a, a dippy egg but she just heard uh. reintroduce egg and wondered why I didn't give her a dippy egg the next morning for breakfast you know and it's right. those things that they hear during those appointments are quite difficult so I don't know. In some appointments, when I was a student nurse, you might go to some appointments. There'd be loads of people there and they'd have a play specialist there and they'd play with the children. So you could then have that open conversation. You know, I don't want to be worrying them. You know, I don't like to put words in their mouth. So I don't sort of ask them, is it hurting? Is something hurting? You know, because yeah. then they're just, they'll just be like, yes, mummy. Yes, yes. If that's going to get me something, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I try not to put, words in their mouths and I think sometimes if they're listening to a whole consultation they do pick things up that we perhaps perhaps don't intend them to or you know like making an issue out of something so you know Sophia is of an age now where she's more aware of things you know like soiling we have a bit of a problem with that but whereas I want to play that down to her and tell her don't worry it's fine yeah, we're sorting that out, aren't we? It's sneaky. It doesn't, you know, you don't know it's happened. It sneaks out. Don't you worry about it. Whereas to the doctors, I want to say, everything you've told me to try has made no difference. This is continuing. Right. She is getting older. You know, she's getting more aware. And I want yeah. us to try and know what's going on, you know. And there's been conversations about whether she's got sensation, not got sensation. She's now being referred elsewhere for kind of a, a second opinion, really, because we've been we've been bouncing around for so long with her and, and sort of not making any progress. So what they're actually going to look into now is, is something called Hirschsprungs that, that is a word that's been banded around since she was tiny because she was constipated in the neonatal period. And I don't know whether it's that or not, but there's definitely something odd seems to go on with her bowels. But if it does turn out that she's got Elodan loss, that has massive gastro significance. So that must be really hard to manage. I mean, you're really trying to say the opposite, really. You're trying to really reassure the child, but get the healthcare professional to take it really seriously and work with you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is incredibly, incredibly hard um, because, like I say, I don't, I don't want her to feel like it's a big deal. I don't want her to be worrying. But then at the same time, I have that, that little snippet of time to get that professional to, to listen, really, and to hear that that's a concern I've got. And that a sort of a flippant comment about she may not have sensation to me is actually quite a worrying 
element you know and, and is there anything that we can do about that is there not you know and if this is something that's going to happen because of the significant constipation she she has had for sort of all of her life you know then that's just something we have to manage but if there is something that can be done to improve this situation then I would want to do it you know because she is yeah. getting to that that age where she is more aware and you know they soon move on from listening to to mummy to listening to everybody else don't they and all their peers and, and other people other voices in the, in the classroom you know and that's that would be my my concern if it becomes a known thing at school that I would I would worry about that so so yes yeah, so we we just hope that at some point somebody's listening and going to look into it for us to find out you know is there is there something that can be done is there not and does that bring us to school we've we've mentioned Rachel Tomlinson the the fantastic yeah. head teacher batting for the child and you know is it good enough for your child with yeah. aspects of that as well how can the school help in this kind of situation or how does it work out I mean I think you were talking when we were talking before about a special event at school mm. and how you might need bit more notice for that or planning for that tell us about school <laughs> um school overall is great it, it, it's great they're very supportive they are really good we've just had her first report and you know her attendance is lower than they would have wanted but I was talking to a teacher yesterday and she said we have a we have a recognized need we we understand that that's that's okay but it is lower than than they would want ideally but they are they're generally great um, but there have been occasions when they haven't informed me of, of things that are happening. There was one day when I got told at 8.40 when I dropped her off that she required a cake for a teddy bear picnic <sighs> at 9.30. So, and the problem with being <laughs> gluten-free, egg-free, dairy-free and soya-free is that shop-bought cakes are incredibly hard to find. In fact, if anybody knows of any, please let me know. But having a stock of cakes is, is really quite a challenge. So on that day, I left school, half-footed it back home. And um, yeah, long story short, I had a warm cake that I was delivering to <laughs> the reception of school by 9.25 with the chocolate icing on the top melting down the sides. But, you know, she had a cake because it's really important to me that she has what her peers have. You know, it's yeah. really important to me. I don't want to say oh she can have a biscuit instead oh she can just don't worry about it she'll be okay no 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 she needs the same there was another day when it was gingerbread and I knew they were making gingerbread men that week nobody had told me which day and I dropped her off on the Monday morning we'd had a hectic weekend I dropped off on the Monday morning said to the TA please tell me you're not making gingerbread men today and she was like oh I'm really sorry it is today and you know Jill I burst into tears it was one of those days where there was just too much. The weekend was was hectic. I don't think Bethany had been very well. I think sleep was at a you know low ebb. <laughs> so um so yeah, I uh, I burst into tears. And again, I came home. I asked them when they were going to be making them. I came home. I made her some gingerbread men, and she had some gingerbread men. Not quite at the same time. But a little after, in time for the school ones to cool. So when they were decorating them, she could decorate hers. They all decorated the others. So she was involved in making the others that she couldn't eat, but actually got her own to decorate. You know, and and that the TA, she's absolutely lovely. I, I love her. She's amazing. But she said to me, "Oh, it's fine. She can still be involved in making them." And I wanted to say to her, "Would you want to make a biscuit you couldn't eat? Would you? Would you really? Do you know what I mean?" And especially age five, make it put it together, smell it cooking, but not be able to eat it. Like, seriously. So thankfully, I was able to get a one there by the time anybody else was going to be eating it. Um, and those are the things that, that matter to me. But since that day, we now generally have a little stock of little chocolate cupcakes that freeze quite well, that defrost well. Uh, we put, we've got some chocolate icing that's, that's, you know, free from all of that that can just go on the top. So... I uh, hopefully won't be caught out in that way again because that was just lucky that that day I wasn't rushing back home to start a meeting straight away because sometimes I am. But yeah, that's the juggle, I think, between being a working mum, being a mum of a child with multiple allergies, trying to juggle that. And these are like, there's loads of unseen, unspoken of elements. We must spend, I would say, 
maybe between 10 and 20 pound a month on pain relief for our girls you know it's a lot of money we go through and i say calpol but actually buy the cheapest chip stuff but it's still not very cheap you know Mm. and we go through it because they are in so much pain such a lot of the time make this sound dreadful they're really not you know they're not sitting in a corner sobbing all the time but they it has an impact no but and they need any pain is is miserable isn't it it doesn't have to be acute yeah yeah and they and they need that and then you've got your you know your normal illnesses and they seem to be particularly good at picking things up you know <laughs> so uh, so they've got all your normal illnesses and your temperatures and bethany particularly quite likes temperature above 40 she does like playing that game bless her so you know we go through the calpol um we go through the ibuprofen and we spend an awful lot of money on it you know and then they've got their prescribed medications and there was a mix up the one time with Bethany's Gaviscon and because she did end up with two different types of Gaviscon on her repeats, I'd asked for the sachets, they dispensed the liquid, we ran out of the sachets, so I had to buy them over the counter. That was £12, you know, and they said, oh, they're really expensive, are you sure you want to buy them? Well, she needs them and the wrong ones come on prescription, so unless you can fix that between now and seven o'clock tomorrow night when she goes to bed... <laughs> Which they couldn't at that point, you know, because it was um, because it was a Friday. I think it was a weekend, you know, and and, and so I had to, yeah. I had to. I know it was bank holiday. That's what it was. It was the, it was a bank holiday. Um, so I thought I'd got my my request in early enough to beat the bank holiday issue, but unfortunately the wrong one had been dispensed, you know, and I had to buy it because what we have discovered is the combination of a um, PPI, which is a you know one type of anti reflux medication, and the Gaviscon in her milk, even though she is three and a half and you wouldn't expect her to need it. But the combination of the two is actually managing her reflux better than it's ever been managed. But I wasn't going to let, let her go without for a couple of days just because I had to pay £12 or £11 or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, the, one of their medications has to be mixed with 15 mils of water and then you give 7.5 to one of them, 22.5 mils to the other one because... Bethany's dose is, is quite considerable. Nobody gives you syringes to mix this up with. So we buy 30 mil syringes. So we can measure the 15 mils accurately. We can measure what we need to give them accurately. The pharmacy don't dispense things like that, syringes that, that you can mix that with. You know, so it, there's there's all these hidden costs. You know, we're now under Birmingham Children's Hospital which is is great you know we've been having some um, investigations finally for Bethany which is you know really really useful to kind of get some answers but with BCH comes a clean air zone if you want to drive to the appointment oh yes and it's incredibly hard to park there so your parking could be so the first appointment I took her to the parking I managed to get was £4.99 an hour and we paid the £8 clean air zone so that was quite an expensive appointment the, yeah, so the £8 clean air zone and there was, yeah, about two hours of parking. The second appointment, thankfully, took her on the train, which was £15, which is about the same in price, but um, but meant that I didn't have to worry about how many hours we were there, which was a very good job because there was not right. enough information shared ahead of the appointment. And although you would, you know, some would say, well, you're a paediatric nurse yourself. Why didn't you know this? But I didn't know. She was going for what they call a barium meal. So she was having to drink a certain drink, um, like a chalky drink. And they were taking x-rays of it as it went down and into her tummy and into her bowel. Um, Well, that was the idea. She didn't exactly play ball, but we got got there or thereabouts. And unbeknown to me, they'd be doing these x-rays till four o'clock in the afternoon. And we arrived at 10. So it was an incredibly long day. She had to start the day starved. So they told us, obviously, of having to be starved, but nobody told me the x-rays could go on that long. You know, and, and I don't know whether they always do that. I did say to them, do you always do this or is it because you're worried about something? Oh, no, this is quite regular. We do, you know. Um, so it made me think that little snippet of information, just one line in a letter, and they'll have a generic barrier meal letter, I'm sure. One line that said these x-rays could be ongoing into the afternoon. Because if I had gone in the car for that appointment thinking she drinks drink they do the x-rays as it goes down we'll be there for an hour maybe two i'd have been paying an absolute fortune to stay till that point or making the decision because they asked me what are your parking arrangements are you able to 
stay in Birmingham for another two hours for us to do another x-ray at like quarter to four, four o'clock. And I said, it's fine, we've come on the train. But, you know, if I knew that information ahead of time, that would have been really useful. And to me, it's quite quite simple and straightforward, you know, that it's a line to put in a, put in a letter, but it obviously yeah. isn't considered also you know the line in the letter that says your child will be expected to drink this drink lying down with an x-ray machine over the top of them because she did not like that at all and I hadn't prepped her in that way I told her she'd have to drink a special drink and they'd take some pictures I didn't realize I'd expected to drink it lying down with the x-ray machine over the top of her they had to do the later x-ray standing up because she absolutely lost it Bethany likes to know what's going on. She gets quite upset when things are things aren't as she thinks they're going to be. And if she doesn't want to do something, she will not do it. And especially when you're talking getting her to drink something, they have ultimate control of that, don't they? You know, she it was down her, it was down me, it was over the nursery teddy that they'd given us to take with us as a bit of an incentive. Um, but in the end, I had a little like you light bulb moment. I had a light bulb moment, and she's got a very close little friend um who is a little friend of one of my very very close friends so I rang a friend I was like can we just do a video call please 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 can she talk to Lottie because I've just said to her would you drink this for Lottie why don't you show Lottie your special drink you've got to drink oh wow that's clever before they do their their pictures and um unfortunately the video call wouldn't work but just talking to Lottie was enough there wasn't enough signal in the hospital to do video call but just talking to her was enough and um hearing her voice and, and me saying maybe we could go see her later this was when I wasn't aware the x-rays was going to go on until four you know and then she did drink it so one three-year-old to another she drank it for her not for me I can totally believe that not for you but yeah not for me the doctor the nurse anybody else a promise of a treat <laughs> a promise of anything I'd have done anything <laughs> to get her to drink it and um no not for me but for a fellow three-year-old she did it for her so yeah that's amazing yeah and there's just so much learning here isn't it I mean as, as you know a lot of my work is around like little things simple things you know to say we haven't got the money or we've got staffing pressures and so on obviously those are massive problems and true yes. of so many situations but I think this comes down to expectations doesn't it absolutely that letter being clear setting out we did some work with Kingston Hospital around admin, which was really, really interesting. And I can remember a kind of similar but totally you know, different context scenario about a guy who was told, I think, at the reception desk, just checking that he hadn't had anything to eat or drink or whatever. And I don't know whether it probably was in the instruction letter, but... Something like that, you know, to spell out, we will not be able to do the test and you will not be able to have your... I think it was... Um... <laughs> Might have been fasting blood, something like that. <laughs> the net result was he was self-employed and it meant that he couldn't have his pre-arranged operation and he'd cleared two weeks in his diary. Ooh, yes. um, and, you know, it was seen as an administrative mistake or complication mm. or, or whatever it was rather than actually this is screwing your whole business and if that had been com- you know yeah. communicated better or you'd known the significance then mm. that wouldn't have happened but yeah. or a cancellation or you know they, these kind of things the juxtaposition between for one side of the fence it's an administrative change yes. and for the other side it's all those yes you know, where you parked your car or how long you're going to be there for. And it's huge, isn't it? And I mean, something I'm proud of is we've got so a shout out really to Lee Kendall, who worked with us on the Nobody's Patient Project. And one of our case studies from that was rewriting a letter to bereaved parents, as sadly Lee was, who lost her baby Hugo and Mm helped us considerably with the Nobody's Patient project to be more empathetic mm. and to get the you know the patients or the, the people who've had that experience to actually be involved in writing those letters. What yes. what is it you need yes. to know? And the actual information but also the tone and the you know yeah. just the simplicity of the language yeah. or you know whatever to just take it so that it's not two sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. A language just makes such a such a massive difference, doesn't it? The words we use, and it can sit with somebody forever, you know, and it is so important. One of the things that I'm getting a little bit more involved with over the last 
few months is, is the palliative care arena, if you will. And we're developing in, in our area sort of a system-wide children's palliative care pathway. Um, and I've been involved in that work. And one of the consultants that's that's involved is doing some research around palliative care impacts on families, the level of care that we're delivering within family homes, the level of care parents are delivering within family homes. And acknowledging parents as experts has been talked about for a very long time. But I think acknowledging the levels of care that they're actually delivering, there hasn't been research particularly around that in the way that this consultant is is looking to do it. Following a, an education conference I went to last week, it's really sparked my interest in research, actually, and then the impact of that on our clinical roles and how we can change what we do to better ourselves on the back of the research. So, yeah, it's, it's an email I've, I've sent only this morning, actually, to say to I'm really interested in being involved in this research. My links within our community children's nursing services and our complex care team, you know, we know firsthand the sort of intensive care that is being delivered in these families' homes by families, by support workers, by nurses. And actually that recognition of it and the research around it will be extremely valuable. And I'm really, really interested to be involved in that. So that's something that that sort of I'm getting more and more involved in in that, that side of things at the moment. And they couldn't hear from better people than yourself. Interestingly, actually, I've got something that started on Twitter, I think, yesterday or the day before, and they were talking about language. So coming Mm. back to that and involving the BBC, there's something next week. So Sally, one of the Darcy fellows that I've worked with in the past, said basically, Jill, whose shoes is your person? And I've sent them a shed load of different suggestions of people as to who they might talk to depending on obviously what kind of slant they want to take but you'd be amazing with that as well Rachel I mean so many people have got so much first-hand experience of language that makes you feel not listened to you've come up with such great examples sadly of your experience of perhaps not being believed or because of your own say your own OCD and so on having an extra kind of layer of worry Mm -hmm. and yeah let's believe people yeah I think that came up actually in Yvonne Newbold's yeah. podcast or Janina, Janina Vigas, I think it may have been. Your parents basically saying, we wouldn't be making up a narrative like this. Why would you? You know, we want to be telling you our children are wonderful. And, yes. You know, everything's happy and healthy. Absolutely. And so just believe. Yeah. Trying to juggle work around various appointments in various different parts of the <laughs> parts of the Midlands you know I certainly wouldn't be doing that by choice and I wouldn't be buying all the free from food by choice I can tell you that much for free you know it's um it's a real challenge and I think considering the child within that context of the family as well because you know I don't know how many of the professionals involved with the girls actually are aware of my difficulties and some might say that's not relevant but actually in a way I think it is because it sometimes makes me more apprehensive about what I share with them and how I share it and I don't want to make too big a deal out of this I don't want to be seen to be asking for investigations I do think it's a useful way of looking at things the child within the family and not just you know because like I've said they're not sometimes they're just looking at a part of the child they're not even looking at the whole child so then you know it's important to look at the child within the context of the whole family um but yet I appreciate, like I've said earlier, we're struggling enough to get people to look at a child holistically. (laughs) So to push them to look at the holistic child within, you know, a family context as well is maybe a step too far. But it's so important. And actually, it was a health visitor that I would say supported me in getting some help. She pointed me in the right direction and gave me a phone number to ring. But nobody ever rang to follow that appointment up. Nobody ever rang to make sure I was okay. It was a, a four-month check or something um, when I got upset and we talked through a lot of things. She told me it's a self-referral service. Here's the number. Go ring, go refer. I'm really concerned. I think you need to be be speaking to somebody. But the health visiting service never followed that up, which is just an example of the way that services have changed. I'm not saying that what they've done is wrong or working outside of you know, what they're commissioned to do. They will have done exactly what they were commissioned to do. And that's the difficulty the commissioning of services is so so strict and has become 
stripped down in so many different areas and that in turn is affecting the the quality of the care that we're able to give I think you know and again it links with things like looking at KPIs key performance indicators outcome measures you know I really am interested in looking at relational outcome measures certainly with one of our teams where we talk about outcome measures being a little bit more difficult to actually achieve as much as they're not my favorite thing to talk about unfortunately it's a bit of a necessary evil in some ways um, because we do need to be able to sort of demonstrate a, a worth if you will demonstrate you know a positive impact but if we can do that in more of a relational sort of a way then I think that would be really really interesting and one thing this is going to perhaps sound very sound a little bit crazy I love crazy things yeah <laughs> go for it <laughs> I think if James can hear me from the other room I think he's he'll kick me out but um you know <laughs> I've listened to a couple of presentations at, at conferences from people from the art of brilliance now I don't know if you've heard of I think it's Andy Cope the, the original the art of being brilliant and what Andy did was he did a PhD in happiness and, you know, so they present and we had one last week at this conference and Andy presented at something just before Sophia was born. So we're talking like six years ago now. And it's kind of sat with me and I've listened to some of his podcasts. I've got a couple of his books, you know, but he did a whole PhD around happiness. Maybe, maybe I could do a whole PhD around kindness, you know? Well, yeah. Because if one can be done around happiness, because kindness is massive, you know, it links with Obviously, everything that Bob was talking about, I've always been a massive fan of Yvonne Newbold. For years and years and years, I've been a massive fan of Yvonne. She's the kindest person you can meet, isn't she? She really is. And I've often used her YouTube videos as training materials when I've done study days. You know, and she talks about finding people that are swimming against the tide, which makes me incredibly yeah. sad that we're looking for people that are swimming against the tide. You know, she talks so much about kindness, as does Bob. And I think kindness to each other, kindness to ourselves, kindness to professionals, kindness to families, kindness to children. You know, there's, it's massive. It's absolutely massive. And like I say, I have a feeling I can hear that James is in the room next door at the moment. And if he could hear me <laughs> suggesting that I might do a PhD, he would actually kick me out. Because it's, I wrote a dissertation when Sophia was tiny and she only slept for 45 minutes at a time because her allergies hadn't been recognised at that point And she was a very unsettled baby. And I wrote a dissertation for my master's at that point. So, yeah, it was quite challenging. So if I told him I was going to do a PhD at the moment before we've got Bethany <laughs> sorted and she's still struggling a lot at night, I, I don't think that conversation would end well. But, you know, it's something to consider, isn't it? Something for the future. Yeah, you don't have to do it now. But if and when you do want to do that, Nikki Macklin, who's one of the people that we've met through Bob Kleber's fantastic monthly kindness sessions mm. is doing a phd on kindness in new zealand and <gasps> she's lovely she? she's very much part of that network so perhaps a smaller immediate ambition would be to link with her come along to one yes. of the bob's sessions yes. and link with nikki yes and see where it goes well, it was funny i was listening to um <laughs> listening to bob's episode the other the other day and it was talking about the thursday evening sort of meeting that they have and I thought oh I could I could try and get involved in that and uh, and then I realized oh well, this this Thursday as in last night because we're recording this on a Friday was uh, meet the new teacher at school so um you know there seems to be always something at school at the moment but uh but yes I'll, yeah. I'll certainly bear that in mind and see if I can make some kind of connection with her because I think it's I think it's massive and we talk about change and we talk about making positive improvements and I think people always think they've got to be something massive, you know, and actually, I don't think they do. I think they've got to be, no. they've got to be doable, you know, and actually to be doable, yeah. the smaller, the better in some ways, but it can have a, a real ripple effect. And that's something that was being talked about on, on an Art of Brilliance podcast I was listening to the other day. And um, he was saying, you know, if you start your day happy, then those that are like in your immediate vicinity. So like, say you, you come to breakfast and you are happy. You know, I've decided today yeah, yeah. going to be in a great mood. Then those that you live with are already 16% happier because you've started yeah. the day happy. It's infectious, isn't it? And then the people that they meet along their way at school or college, work, whatever, they are then 10% happier because 
the person that you made happy is happier. And and it goes on, and I might have got those percentages wrong, but you know that ripple effect is quite it's quite considerable, isn't it? And that's something that I want to think about. I'm looking at organising a conference. I've got your name on my list, Jill, so I would like to talk to you about whether you could come along. And I'm meant to be saying no to things, but that's already probably an immediate yes. Well, I was going to invite Yvonne as well. So, you know, you could... And she'll be the same. Yep. You could chat to Yvonne. Well, I have invited Yvonne. Um, I'm just waiting on a response because I know she's really busy. So, yeah, I'm looking at at organising a conference. I've contacted Bob, actually. You know, I wanted to contact, you know, there's a few that... I just want to get this message out within our trust. So this is me talking as a professional. As professionals, we're not very good at looking after ourselves. We're really, really good at looking after other people. We're not very good at looking after ourselves. True, yeah. And I want people to focus on that a little more and to really think about that. And things like conferences, things like continuing professional development and study days and and all of those are so, so, so vital. But with how busy services are, people feel guilty. They feel they shouldn't be taking the time. They shouldn't be going and doing this or doing that. So I'm really, really trying to push that at the moment. And I thought if I can pull a conference together that's got some real inspirational people that can help me to push some of these messages of, we need to look after you because it brings it back to the, the flight kind of analogy of you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first, you know. And if I can do that, then maybe we can spread some of that. If I can get my message to a few more teams of you know you have to look after yourself develop yourself look after yourself make sure you're taking the time out because by doing all of those things you will be a better better nurse you will be the best version of yourself and then that opens up all of those doors and and also opens up the conversation of I could make some tiny little changes that might impact on the service you know we don't need to write a big paper about it we don't need to develop something massive and you know and and have it on some kind of national stage we could do something really simple like walk into the office with a smile and say good morning and be happy and ask somebody are you okay you don't you know you don't look yourself show that kindness to each other by showing it to yourself first actually we could make a massive massive difference so I just hope that I can try and get that message across and I think by inviting all the right people to a conference I'm hopeful that I can try and do that and with my links with the RCN because I'm an RCN learning rep I'm hopeful that we can kind of bring them in as well maybe to uh maybe maybe with some money to uh to (laughs) to to help with some of the funding um along with some CPD money perhaps so that's my that's a little dream I've got that I've got your name next to Jill (laughs) so that's brilliant and And Rachel, I promise you, you will do, because I can see you smiling here now. I can see your passion to make these things happen. I I can see how all of these things are, whether you like it or not, almost linking up for you in your life and your family and your professional world. I'm just so delighted that we've had this conversation because I've had lots of lemon light bulbs. And I'm thinking back to, for example, you could take the obvious message, say, with schools, you know, give parents more notice. And I see yeah. my children and, and their friends, you know, moaning about we didn't get any notice for X, Y, Z. And I'm immediately back as myself, as a parent of three children. It was fancy dress that always did me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't good. But, you know, if you add in those layers of actually this really matters because you can't just whip up any cake grab one off the shelf you know it matters for your child and to include them fully and I think the other thing that now this is see how this sounds to you like my challenge for the integrated care scheme so it goes back really to the roots of whose shoes where I heard people talking about personalization as if we all knew what it was and it was easy and we just needed to do it and I saw tensions between okay fantastic for people to have choice but how does that work in a risk-averse society? And that's really like the roots of whose shoes to try and look at things from different perspectives. So my challenge, our challenge for the integrated care system is to put these buzzwords together. So what matters to you? Personalised care for a child, but the child has got not just one need that you can kind of like fix, but multiple needs, but actually they're one child and that whole kind of holistic thing. 
and they're a member of the family and that the family are real people who've got jobs and perhaps got, you know, one or two health concerns of their own and they need to function as a family unit and to have a consultation whereby and letters and so on where those kind of things are just taken into account and it works for people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a challenge as well. It is a challenge and and it's real. Mm. But I think there's so many people out there genuinely wanting those things to happen but they might be focusing on one bit and then they're silo mm. thinking. And it's how to get people to think outside their own worlds, isn't it? And just join things up a bit more. Mm. And sometimes it's just talking to the right person. So, you know, this issue of the letter for the Varian meal, you know, it's been going through my head. Should I, what if I contact the secretary for the gastro consultant? Would she be the right person? Oh, what if I contacted pals? But then I wouldn't want them to see it as a complaint. But then pals might be able to right. get the message to the right person, you know. I'm just thinking those are the things that kind of go through my head. And then unfortunately, sometimes things like that go through my head and then they never get done because I'm so busy. And how many other parents think, oh, that would have been really useful in that letter. But they don't just don't have the opportunity, the time or the, you know, they don't know where to go with that. So the message never gets fed yeah. back. So then if you don't, no, there's a problem you can't fix it can you so the hospital may never have yeah. been told and we can only do what we can do with the information that we have if they're not given it they can't they can't fix it so it's picking up these small things that aren't as big as a complaint it should never need to yeah. be a complaint it's just hear me that was my yeah. experience and you know it might help prevent it happen to somebody yeah. else yeah absolutely and it, it's that two-way it's that communication again isn't it it's a big word it comes up a lot but it makes a massive yeah. difference. It does. It really does. Yeah. So, Jill, there was, there was one other thing that I wanted to uh, that I wanted to mention um, was that actually, yeah, go go for I'm it. A... <laughs> You're going to laugh at this one as well, probably. Oh, I like laughing. I'm I'm actually writing a book, um, <laughs> which is a book of our. I don't know whether it's I don't know a memoir or you know a bit of a reflection, but it's kind of a book of our journey and our experiences and I've called it many things it has lots of titles at the moment and I don't know if it will ever come to fruition but for me it's almost almost a bit of therapy really in terms of documenting some of the girl's journey my feelings how it's gone trying to make some of it a bit light-hearted so so yeah it's a I enjoy doing it um, and some of it it's often written in snippets on my phone so perhaps when I've been dealing with you know, Bethany being unsettled and we finally got, got her to sleep on, on the recliner, which is quite possibly the best money I have ever spent in my life as the recliner to, to keep us <laughs> a little bit, little bit of sanity. And I've perhaps written a bit as a note on my phone and then I've emailed it to myself and it's gone into the book. There was another bit that was written lying on a hospital bed, staring at the ceiling when we were admitted and we were waiting on a results on her platelets after some dodgy bruising and me knowing a little bit too much about being placed on an oncology ward you know and, and so it was kind of the, what was going through my mind at that moment that's then you know going into into this book so I guess this is a bit shameless really but uh, go for it yeah I'll, I'll be reading it <laughs> just if there's anybody out there that has any any links to like you know who I could possibly talk to about it as it possibly hopefully does develop like I say at the moment it's kind of like therapy for me and it almost helps me to wind down to to kind of get things off my chest um the good the bad you know some of it's funny I just wonder if you've got any contacts out there that might listen to this that might say oh you know you want to talk to this person you want to send a bit of it to that person to get their opinions on it then uh, that would be great thank you very much so, that, <laughs> so let's make that the challenge as well who can help Rachel published what I'm sure will be an extraordinarily insightful and entertaining book. And it, it's funny, I mean, immediately, and I'm actually sitting in my little kind of study, and on that top shelf up there, I've got the Life in the Slow Lane book that I started when my children were young and never got published, but I didn't have the advantage of like flicking bits, mm. forwarding bits yeah. to myself from my phone and all the modern, you know, I had to actually sit and write yeah. it and you know I hadn't got the staying power so good luck to it's you. one of those where I've got it you know it's on the OneDrive thing I don't really understand the technology yeah. James does the technology but it means that I can look at it on my phone or on the tablet or you know on the laptop yeah. so if I've got a few minutes I might or something just springs to mind I'll just 
throw out a sentence or a paragraph or even just a title make sure you put this in you know sort of thing so that immediacy so yeah I don't I don't know whether it'll ever come together I don't know whether it'll ever come together but you know it's something that that I fancy doing to maybe help other families you know one of the titles it's had has been journey to a diagnosis you know and it may be that that's what it is it may be a journey to a diagnosis it may not be there may never be a diagnosis the, the latest thing that's been thrown around is something called functional abdominal pain and that actually it's just one of those things it just happens there's no treatment and she did say it can be debilitating but you know there's nothing we can necessarily do so it may not be a diagnosis in the end but it's there and like I say it's therapy for me if nothing else <laughs> and, it, and it's a journey yeah. and other parents go on journeys and I think you know that's something that we're getting a lot better at whether it's through blogs or whether it's through podcasts and that but people actually sharing their stories and you don't know who you reach do you and who it helps so good luck with it. Thank you thanks. Well thank you so much Rachel I think I'm just delighted we've had this conversation it's been a very kind of free-flowing in all directions and I think there's some absolute gems within it and definitely adding some very new material to the podcast series. So huge thanks, and I'm glad I persuaded you. Thank you. Thanks very much, Jill. It's been brilliant. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If so, please subscribe now to hear more of these fascinating conversations on your favourite podcast platform, and please leave a review. I tweet as Who's Shoes. Thank you for being on this journey with me, and let's hope that together we can make a difference. <laughs>